Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Matt LeDuc. Um, I became aware of Matt with a North Star video that he produced. I guess North Star produced it, and he's on it. And I listened to it a couple times, and it's just wonderful. And gave me great insights into Matt and the road he walks as a gay or an SSA Latter-day Saint. And Matt's now here in my home doing this podcast, and I'm grateful for Matt. We said a prayer before we started. Matt is active in the church. He's in his mid-30s, returned missionary, and just has a unique story that's full of hope and and no shame and being completely authentic to who he is. And I think you'll enjoy Matt's story, and we pray that this will be helpful for you, our listeners, some of you that are LGBTQ or some of you that are trying to help LGBTQ people. But I have a hunch this podcast will be helpful for all of you, as Matt has had to work really hard um, developing relationship with Christ, understand who he is, develop really authentic, um, vulnerable, and healthy communication skills that I think will come through this podcast will help all of us. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks. Um, tell, tell. let's just start. That's probably the best thing. Give us a, a little bit of an update before you grew up, your your life before serving a mission in Houston, Texas. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I was out in New Jersey until I was 18, came out to BYU in Provo, Utah, um, before that time, just lived in the same house my entire life. My dad is a retired police officer. Uh, my mom worked at home, and I'm the middle of five kids. So decided uh, at one point to come out to BYU, and that was a big thing. Um, the church isn't super strong back in New Jersey. So growing up, I, I had a very strong testimony of the gospel, but there wasn't a lot of social connection to the church. You have a couple of people that, that you get to know, but it's not, it's not like it is today for me. Um, came out to BYU and that was awesome. Was able to meet a lot of people that were really good, not only influences in the gospel, but good people to be around. Um, and that was really helpful. I, I think growing up, you have these people that I was friends with, but they had completely different beliefs or, or no beliefs. And being able to be in a culture where I had lots of people around that had similar beliefs allows you to talk about those beliefs and figure out exactly what they are. And even though a lot of us have similar beliefs, that doesn't mean that we believe exactly the same thing, um, which is a good thing because it allows you to kind of challenge those thoughts and, and question them and figure out exactly what they mean to you. So I came out to BYU, was here for a year, um, and then after that served a mission. And I went down to Houston, Texas. I loved it. It was nice and warm, which I don't like the cold at all. So I was very happy about that. Um, I was in a lot of the wealthier parts of Houston. And that was good because it gave me a chance to work with a lot of the members. That's, that's really all we did. We would knock doors all day long. And then we would go and, and meet with the members whenever we could. Um, and that's where we had the most success. One of the wards that I was in, I was there for about 11 months. Wow. Yeah, it was. That's crazy. It was a long time. I remember I hit the seven month mark and I wanted to get out of there just because, you know, I thought I needed to be somewhere else and I didn't, I didn't get transferred. And then when I hit the nine month mark, I pleaded with the president to keep me there because I loved it so much. So it was quite a, 
quite a change. Um, but again, that was a really good thing because it allowed me to create a lot of good relationships that have been long lasting, even, even until this point. After Houston, I came back to BYU and I was there for two years. One of those years I was an RA, a resident assistant in the dorms. And I loved that. Gave me an awesome chance to get to know some really good people and to have a very different um, environment than most people's college experience. And I started working in sales. I actually did door-to-door sales for a long time. Um, and at one point I had to make a decision and I decided to drop out of school and manage my sales teams. And that was a huge thing for me. It gave me a lot of good opportunities to, to work and gain experience. And I became pretty good at sales, did well with it. Um, and also when we would do our door-to-door um, companies, we would move away for the summer. So you do a school year uh, at school, and then in the summer you would move away. So it creates really good relationships. Your, your team uh, is in an area for four or five months. So it gave me a big chance to connect with people, which is something that's very, very important in my life. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's the background there. I'm going to read you a text um, from my sister-in-law who is, um, you served in her ward. Her name is Gretchen yeah. Jurgens, and she's a frequent podcast listener. Gretchen married um, my wife's brother, and we have a lot of um, Texas blood in our family. And um, here's her text when she became aware you were going to be on the podcast. You are going to be interviewing one of my very very favorite people. Matt LaDuke is our very favorite missionary ever <laughs> with all caps that served in Houston. He is a remarkable man. Actually, he is a remarkable young man and we love him very much. He has been such a good friend to our kids here in Utah. He's a very, very special person indeed. And That's I, awesome. I just have a hunch there's, you know, there's a lot of people scattered around Texas and Arizona and Utah and New Jersey that feel that same way about you, Matt. And thank you for, you know, your commitment to the church, the great mission you served in navigating a really difficult, unique road. Tell our listeners what label. I sort of labeled you as SSA. Do you take on a label as part of your sexual orientation? Um, the easiest way to say it is gay. That's kind of the the way that, uh, that is what I say now. Um, there was a point where I didn't, I was really nervous about the connotation because it can mean so many different things, but I've realized that pretty much every label that you have can do that. There's, there's a lot of power in being able to identify as something. Um, but there can also be a lot of negativity when you identify it, it can become your identity. Um, and that's one thing that I've had to work through as well. So yeah, for most people, I would just, I would tell them I'm gay. That's great. I'm going to have you pull the mic just a little bit forward. I'll make sure our listeners hear you. Um, as I listen to your story, you were navigating this road before your mission. Should I come out? Should I not? I don't quite know how this is going to work with a priesthood leader. I recognize I haven't done anything wrong here. I don't need to confess anything, but I'm just imagining this New Jersey teenager with no resources uh, no one to talk to trying to figure out this road and do I talk to anybody about this or not? I, what would you say you're, you know, that's a while ago. What would you say to that teenage teenager, in New Jersey now? It's, 
it's a challenge. Um, I would hope that anybody that's out there and dealing with this has people that they can talk to. Um, one thing that I've realized is as I've had those fears about, uh, being open and talking, um, I have yet to have a really bad experience with it. Every single person that I've been able to share with has either been amazing, good, or neutral. You know, sometimes people don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And they kind of don't say anything. Uh, I've even had that experience personally and with some of the close people in my life. Um, but for the most part, it's actually been very positive. Um, sometimes even so positive <laughs> where you're like, you know, you don't even know what to do with it, where people almost want to help you live your, your life or tell you what you need to do, which is, which is both helpful and, you know, it can be challenging in its own because you're trying to figure out exactly what to do. So, yeah, I would hope that, uh, most people can, can talk about it. And, when we're talking about the church and the church culture, um, I think there's been a big shift over the last 15 years that's been really helpful where um, most bishops that I've talked to, I, I've even seen the change where I remember uh, talking to one bishop, this was probably about 12 or 13 years ago, and I sat down with him and said, hey, I just want to update you. Here's my situation. And I kind of laid it out there and he looked at me and he's like, what are you looking at for me? You know, he didn't know what to say because he had never experienced that before. Where nowadays, um, anybody I talk to in a, in a bishopric setting, they usually can look at me and be like, oh, cool. So what does that mean for you? And they want to understand it. Um, a couple of my most recent bishops have, we sit down and chat about it, you know, and he'll, uh, my current one is amazing. Love the guy. And we talk about it all the time. Great. And he wants to understand it, wants to understand how it affects me personally, how it affects other people or could affect other people. And um, for me, and this might be a side note, but in those situations, I try to say, you know, this is what it is for me. Um, but for other people, it, it could be tons of different things. You know, my experience isn't, isn't universal to everybody else's. Um, who was the first person you came out to? I was on my mission. It was a, a missionary that I served around. Um, I was a zone leader. He was one of the guys in the zone and we were doing an exchange and I was uh, serving with him for a couple of days and, and we both had the same, same challenge and I picked up on it we were just talking, sharing stories um, and kind of talking about the challenges before a mission and during a mission and how it works. And we ended up able to talk and connect with them. And that was a huge thing. And it was really an interesting thing because he, his, his side of it came out first. And so here I am 20 years old. Um, I'm a zone leader. I'm working with this guy and he tells his story. So you think that that would give me complete open invitation to put mine out there. And I remember I was so hesitant to say it because I had never told a single person. And it's like, of all people, this should be the easiest person in the world to tell um, but it was just really difficult. It, it, you're in, and again, I hope that things have changed in the last, uh, 15 years. But for me, I just remember being terrified of, of what if I tell this person and he uses that information against me or, or whatever. And I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel that I had done anything wrong, but it was also just scary. So I was able to talk with that guy. Um, and that was good. And, and we're still friends to this day. And then a couple months down the road, I had a new companion, uh, that was struggling with, with different stuff. 
And for whatever reason, I ended up, he was going to a counselor, a, a LDS family service counselor. And I guess they thought it would be a good thing for me to work with the counselor. So I knew how to work with this companion better. And we ended up spending every session talking about me and being gay. So it was, it was a really good thing. And that's kind great. of, yeah, it started my journey working with counselors, um, which has been something that I've done for the last uh, 16 years. I've seen counselors off and on, and that's been a huge help. Um, after my mission, uh, came back to BYU, started seeing a counselor at BYU, um, actually probably a couple of different counselors over the years. Uh, but that allowed me to kind of trust the people in my life. And I started talking with a few of my close friends and and it was really interesting because I remember that process being, um, I was very strategic. And nowadays I, I, I don't want to be that way because I, I think that that kind of kills vulnerability. But I was really strategic. I would, I would have this friend that I was good friends with, that I trusted implicitly, but I was so afraid about this one issue that I would throw feelers out there where I would see how this person felt about, you know, the gay issue or, or whatever, and try to see how we would respond and how we would talk about it. And I would do that time and time again until I felt like, okay, I'm 90% sure that this person will respond positively. And then, then I would bring it up and it would still be difficult. Whereas now I've just, um, I've just realized that, you know, this is a part of who I am. It's not who I am, but I'm going to share my story with people that, that matter to me. Um, so the close people in my life, everybody I interact with today knows, um, not everybody out there that I've ever talked to knows I'm not somebody that's really, uh, put it up on Facebook. In fact, uh, this, this podcast that we're doing will be the first time that I, I actually link it to my Facebook page. Um, and, and I think there's some benefit to that and hopefully it'll be helpful to somebody, but for the most part, I've kept it fairly under the radar. Not, I'm not in the closet or anything like that, but doing a good job. Yeah. Just keeping it under the radar. So I would hope that, uh, people could be able to talk to those, uh, around them. My experience has been positive, uh, actually really positive with that. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I think it's important that, that it's an issue that's talked about and, and talked about in a way where there isn't shame and people don't have to hide it and, and be afraid of, of what that means. Um, talk about a marriage you had about 10 years ago. Yeah. So I was married to a woman, um, back when I was 24, we had been friends for quite a while, really, really good friends, um, best friends. And she knew about me being gay long before we ever started dating. Uh, we dated for quite a while, uh, were engaged for a while and got married and it just didn't work. It wasn't anything in particular. Um, there was, both of us had our issues, depression, anxiety, and, and everything. And it just, it didn't work. We were married almost two years. Um, no infidelity, no issues or anything like that. And it just kind of fell apart. And that was really difficult. Uh, cause after that ended, um, you know, I had felt like I had done the right things leading up to that. And there's one of the things that I've realized was, and this is an issue in every marriage, I'm sure, but communication, just being able to talk and connect, uh, completely open. One of the things that did come up as far as being gay, um, was when we started having issues in our marriage, 
some of those things we almost pulled off the table. So whereas when we were dating and we could talk about me being gay and engaged and talk about me being gay, I think when we were married, I think she had something where it was almost like she didn't want to offend me by asking questions or or saying that she had these doubts or fear. And, and personally, I kind of sense that. I, I guess I don't know that for sure because we never really talked about it, but it was almost like it came off the table. Um, so if I were to do that again, the one thing that I would do is just talk about everything. If I sensed that there was something that was being hidden or, or not shared, I would try to delve into that because um, I've just realized that, that it doesn't solve anything thinking that it would work out because it almost never works out when you don't talk about it. Um, I guess that's where, that's where shame comes from is when that stuff kind of hides in the dark. Um, it just, it becomes bigger and bigger and just gets to the point where it's this monster that nobody wants to, to talk about. So, um, we were married almost two years and then we separated and it wasn't messy or anything, but it was, it was difficult. Um, after that time, I, I went through a couple of different things, uh, both with the door divorce and some stuff at work where I had a few people that knew about me being gay and did not use that information correctly. Um, in fact, one of them kind of used it against me and I, I shut down for a while. I completely closed up. I was really, really selective about the people that I talked to about it. Um, and that was for me, that was a really hard time as far as my spirituality and, and figuring out myself. Um, a couple of years down the road, my company moved me to Arizona. And for me, that was probably the best thing I could ever do. Uh, it was really difficult because I moved down. I didn't know anybody down there. Um, but I got put in a new ward with that new ward. It was almost like this, this clean slate. And I went to that singles ward. I just started meeting with the bishop, telling him what I was going through. He was amazing bishop. And it started this process of almost starting back over of talking with the bishop, seeing a counselor, kind of putting myself, uh, figuring out where I wanted to be. And it, and sometimes it's just those simple questions. You have a new bishop and he looks at you and says, okay, so where do you want to be in your life? And you have to sit there and think about that. And that's a good thing. Uh, Cause I think a lot of times I just kind of, I didn't want to think about the future because the future didn't look bright. So I wouldn't think about it and I would just go through my day-to-day activities. Um, so I think it was good to have that change. Um, I was still doing the door-to-door sales, so I would go out for the summer. I had started to make some new friends, so now we're a couple of years after the divorce, and I made some really, really close, good friends. Um, one of them in particular that is still my best friend to this day, uh, he had his issues that he was working on. I had mine and completely different issues, but we we're able to connect with each other and just go through this process of being there and being able to support one another. And it got, for me, it was great because I felt accepted again. I felt like all the garbage I had gone through, everything that I looked at myself in the mirror, just being ashamed of, uh, no longer mattered. I had friends that accepted me for who I was and it allowed me just to, to work through that. Um, as, as that started to change, I kind of came up with this, this, I started to get to a good place. The gospel was really important to me, but now I'm 27 to 30 years old and I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with my life. Um, I did the video for North Star, uh, the Voices of Hope video, put that out there and I've 
felt really good about that. And I started connecting with a lot of the guys that were, were living similar lifestyles. Uh, they were gay, but living the gospel. And it was great. I had this really good community, this really good group, I, and I felt strongly about it. Um, there was a point, though, a couple year, or excuse me, a couple month period where I had a few of my close friends leave the church. Just their lifestyles changed, their path changed. And as that happened, it, it kind of hit me pretty hard. When you start hearing somebody make comments like, oh, I just don't want to be alone anymore, you know, which completely valid. And I'm sitting there saying, oh, well, I don't particularly want to be alone either. And I started uh, trying to decide what, what path I should take. Um, I started reaching out to people, uh, other guys that were gay, connecting with them, having conversations, starting to head down the road of dating. Um, and I kind of, at this time, I still had a really strong testimony and it started to create a lot of dissonance in my life where I was trying to figure out, okay, what path do I go? And this was a, a really huge thing for me. Um, I had a few friends that were completely accepting and open and honest and talking with me. And, and they did it in a really good way where they were asking questions and trying to understand what I was going through. And they weren't trying to tell me what I needed to do and what path to take. They, they were just being friends and, and loving. And I, I hit this point at one point where I had this person I wanted to date, uh, a guy, and I had the gospel and they seemed like they were almost polar opposites. And for me, I had to, um, I had to make a decision and I basically started writing out, like you see sometimes the pros and cons. And at that moment, it, it helped me to kind of identify. And, and there was this thing that happened where I realized that, um, I, I guess for the years prior to that, I had looked at living a gay lifestyle, dating guys, doing that stuff as bad. Um, and I realized, and, and this is just me speaking, this is my experience, but it wasn't bad. If I wanted to go and date a guy, go and date a guy, and there are a lot of positive things about that, the companionship, the closeness and, and everything. And I think one thing that's hard is if you look at that as a bad thing, um, it can kind of be challenging because it, it forces you into one corner. And as I started to make this decision, as I realized that, okay, that might not be bad or evil or, or anything. Uh, but on the other side, there were things that I did want in the gospel, uh, such as I wanted to be able to go to the temple often. And I still had a desire to be married to a woman and have kids. And, and I have faith and believe in, in that plan as far as uh, celestial marriage. Um, I basically had to make a decision. Um, and I chose to, uh, live the gospel and start heading down that path. And that's been really helpful for me. It hasn't made everything completely as easy. Um, but as I've gone down that path, um, I think at that point I had consciously and deliberately made a decision to head down that path. Um, where I think before that I was almost, um, I was doing it because I felt like I was supposed to where now I was doing it because I wanted to. So when a challenge would come at me, 
um, I wasn't, I wasn't resentful of the gospel or resentful of the church because I chose this. There was one other thing um, that was really helpful. I also recognize the negatives of, of each side. So, you know, about opportunity cost and, you know, fear of missing out and everything. I realized that if I decided to live the gospel, let's say I don't get married, um, want to live the gospel, that that means that I'm not dating anybody. And that means on a Friday night, I might be at home by myself watching TV instead of being out on a date, or I might not have a boyfriend or, or be at the, at, uh, one of the things that comes up a lot that I hear both in my own head and, and from others is when you're 30 years old and everybody else is now married, all of your siblings are married and you're at Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner and you're the single guy, people feel like, oh, you're the weirdo. And sure I am weird, but <laughs> that's just kind of part of it. And I realized that that's okay. Um, I kind of got to the point where I realized that if I'm choosing this lifestyle of, of going ahead in the gospel, because that's where I want to be, there are going to be times that I'm going to be lonely and that's okay. And I realized as I talked with some of my other friends that were married, um, I, I remember one of my buddies in particular, he's married, he has three kids and he would tell me that he has three kids, his wife, and he are living in this house. And he felt lonely from time to time. And I realized that, that that's a normal thing and, and that's okay. So getting to that point where I was okay with some of these, you know, quote unquote, negative side effects of this path I was choosing was a really good thing for me. Because um, I think a lot of times we want to we wanna think, okay, if I'm living the gospel, then everything's just going to work out. And it doesn't. You're, you're frustrated from time to time. You're lonely, you're tired, you're kind of, you know, going down this path. And I think if we have the mindset that the gospel just makes everything bright and happy, uh, we're going to be sorely disappointed because it's not that way. And that's, that's been something that happened right around 30. Um, and that honestly, making that choice has been a really, really good thing for me. That's a great segment there. I, so many wonderful things you shared. I, I'm glad that you're honest about your marriage. And I've looked at, when I see a marriage fail, I don't try to, you know, I don't understand the complexities of another marriage that fails to try to lift one partner above the other or to explain it away. And I realize my nice tidy box thinking would say, well, it's because he was gay and that's why the marriage didn't end work. And that keeps everything safe for me. But I think what we do is just what, you know, is just support you and your path forward, your former wife, and not try to, um, it's not my responsibility to look at your marriage and try to understand what didn't work or to try to blame either person. I love just your honesty in that. And I realize that the complexities of a divorce is multifaceted. And, and I think you do a good job of explaining that and just moving on. Um, in your life. And I love the other thing you said is that if I could do something different, I'd probably be more honest. I, I hope our listeners can get this feeling of Matt because as I've listened to Matt on that North Star video, and I hope you're feeling it in this podcast, is Matt is just so incredibly honest about who he is. And, and there's no shame about Matt about who he is. And that's such a great spot to be in because I think Heavenly Father can talk to you better. I think you make better choices. I think 
when you look in the mirror and don't see and don't feel shame for anything, I think you just do better. And part of that is being vulnerable. Part of that is being honest about therapists. Part of that is just being honest that you've had a marriage. And I think that's an example for all of us. So, you know, thank you for this part of the podcast so far. Um, yeah. Let me ask a friend question about this friend in Arizona. Was Is he straight? That, yes. Yeah. And help our listeners understand why sometimes coming out to a straight guy versus a straight woman can be, and have that person not step away from you is more healing sometimes. The most healing relationship you can have is a fellow straight bro that doesn't change because he finds out you're gay. That's funny. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember having some of these friends where uh, they didn't know I was gay. Um, and, and we had this trust in this friendship and this brotherhood. And I could have a bad day at school and bomb a test or I could have been fired from my job or, or all these countless things. And I could have gone to him and said, Oh, I got fired from my job. I had this bad day and been open about that. But when it came to the sexuality part, um, telling my buddy that I'm gay, what if he thinks I'm into him? Right. What if he thinks I'm attracted to him? So you don't share that and you say, okay, well, that's, that's something I don't need to share. And, and I think, um, I think that's completely justified. You get to choose who you share and, and who you don't share. But I noticed for myself, there was always this thing in the back of my mind that even though we trusted each other, in my mind, I psyched myself out thinking that because he didn't know I was gay, that if he did know, he would have a problem with me. And that's not true. Um, but I, I had, I basically sabotaged some of those uh, friendships uh, because I didn't have a full level of trust because I was afraid of sharing, if, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and yeah, it definitely is easier to, for me at least, and I've heard this from several of my other friends, it is easier to tell a woman because you just don't have that fear anymore. You tell a woman and it's almost like, like this uh, tension is released because oh, well, he's not into me anymore, so we could just be friends and that's really cool. And, and she's not worried about me dating her and I'm not worried about her, you know, trying to date me or anything. But then it's almost like your bro that you're hanging out with now, it's like this tension is is now introduced into the relationship. Thankfully, I haven't had that experience. You know, in fact, most of my good friends now, we joke about it all the time. And that, that uh, humor is actually really therapeutic. To just be able why, to joke and why laugh. is it therapeutic? Help our listeners understand. Um, some, it, you know, some guys may say, "Well, I should never talk to Matt about this. If he's come out to me, I should never joke about it. I should never talk about it." And does that sort of create more shame and a feeling like, "Well, I," or just help yeah. our listeners understand? Um, they say that shame, shame lives in darkness, um, and shame is the feeling that you're not enough, or that you have this thing there that just. Uh, you, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not attractive enough or, or anything. You're not a, a, a good enough person. Um, being able to talk about it brings things out into the light and it just kind of, it's crazy how much it dissipates. Um, and for me, just joking about it with my friends and, and having that humor and, and the openness and um, it just, 
I have a couple of people in my life right now that I know that I can talk about anything with, literally anything. I could go and do the dumbest thing today and I could call one of them up and we could have that conversation. Um, and that that is therapeutic because we all make mistakes all the time. Um, and, but there's nothing worse than making a mistake and then just wallowing in it alone because it that mistake goes from uh, this one small incident to being this huge, you start to think of it as you, as your, uh, that is who I am. I am a mistake and it just multiplies. So being able to sit there and talk about it with somebody and just share that experience just kind of pulls it out of the darkness and gets it out there. I, that's the best way I could explain it. I don't know if that's... It's a great answer. And I just recognize that's a maturing of a society that I didn't have in my 20s. If one of my friends in their 20s came out to me when I was in my 20s, I wouldn't be able to react like your friends are reacting. And I recognize now after doing more of these podcasts, sometimes the straight friends for a gay woman, a, a fellow woman, a gay man, a fellow man, that that relationship shouldn't change, doesn't need to change, but can be incredibly healing and shouldn't be anything to change the relationship. And that's something that I really loved on your North Star. And I would recognize you kind of inferred that this friend that you came out to had stuff going on in his life. It wasn't about sexual orientation, but because you were vulnerable with him, he thought, I can talk to Matt. Maybe you already knew that about you, but it sounds like it allowed him to be more vulnerable with you. And you could really help him because you both had a friendship based on not out of reality and a vulnerable and trust. And that's where we really heal each other is when we're open about who we are. I, that's awesome. Um, I can't tell you how many times in the first year after I told him about being gay, I would ask him, so you really don't have a problem with this. And he's looking at me like, dude, my life is a mess. Like <laughs> how, how can I judge you when I have that? And I'm thinking the same thing. He'd, he'd come to me with his problems and be like, you know, this thing's going on. I'm like, like I have a foot to stand on, you know? And it's, it's that realization that we're all kind of in our own little messes and that's okay. That's completely fine. Being able to just own your little mess and, and that's just normal. It's uh, it's healing for sure. Um, one of my favorite stories, an earlier podcast we did was with Luke Warnock. Um, Luke was a championship member of a state basketball team. And I later, he came out as gay in his senior year, right after basketball season ended. And I met with one of his, he came over with one of his basketball teammates, who's LDS and active in the church and preparing for a mission. I asked, I said, Andrew, what was it like when Luke, your high school buddy that you've been playing basketball with for eight years and came out as gay. He says, it was a non-issue for me and nothing changed in our relationship. And I remember my high school friends, a couple of them that came out as gay, or I knew they were gay in high school, Matt, I just withdrew from them. I didn't know how to be an active Latter-day Saint and have gay people in my life, even gay people in my life like you that were active in the church, let alone those that had stepped away. And I just recognized the maturing of society and and a better understanding, I think, of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's meant to bring us together. So I'm glad that you've had the courage to come out, and I'm glad that you're getting the support that you deserve. And I would guess in some ways you're a wounded healer is a term I use that because you're open with 
your own woundedness, so to speak, then you're able to heal people because you've been in really difficult deserts and you've had to rely and go deep working through difficult things that gives you the ability to help other people. So I bet there's a lot of people who could be on the podcast talking about how Matt has helped them walk their unique roads. Um, and that's probably part of your ministry that may not be well seen publicly, but is privately making a lot of difference in a lot of people's lives. Talk about letting go of culture. Yeah. Or wherever you want to go on the podcast. No, that sounds good. Yeah. One thing that came up, I remember, um, so I got really active in, in my ward at singles ward in, in Provo. Um, and we were going through as those wards do down there, there's lots of transition, lots of turnover. Um, every, it's like every six months it changes, but from one year to the next, the ward can completely change as far as activity and activity, people that are in there. And there was this one time, um, that I was serving that it just seemed like we had our inactivity was really, really high. Um, which puts a lot of pressure on people that are active. You, you get this, you know, you're passing the sacrament every week. You're, you're doing all this stuff, teaching lessons and everything. And I remember this one time in, in particular, I'm, I'm trying to live the gospel. I'm trying to be faithful. And I felt like I was doing the same stuff over and over again. I'm setting up the sacrament every morning. I'm passing, you know, every Sunday morning, I'm passing the sacrament every week. I'm teaching lessons a couple times a month. And I just was worn out. Um, and I was meeting with my counselor at the time, amazing guy, really good, uh, view on, on life and the gospel. And, uh, I was just getting more and more frustrated, pissed off even. And I remember this one time I just decided like, I am so sick of serving, you know, and I felt like I was getting taken advantage of. And so I decided this is real mature. I know, um, that I, would just step back and not, not serve. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But I remember like, I am not going to pass the sacrament. I'm, you know, somebody else can do it. There's plenty of other people. And um, so I decided this one Sunday that I was not going to pass the sacrament and I was not going to set up the sacrament and church starts opening songs going and people aren't up there to pass. And it's like, we're right before the sacraments ready to be passed and there still aren't enough people. So I, I went down and passed and I was, I was bitter. I was so angry. <laughs> you got from pissed to bitter. <laughs> I was, it was not good. So uh, two days later, I'm meeting with my counselor and I'm sitting there and I am just like, I am just so done with the church. And uh, he lets me just rant and I'm just so frustrated and I, I rant for like 15, 20 minutes telling him all the things that were going on and how this war just sucks and I hate all these people and everything. And uh, and I get done ranting and my energy's all out and and I, it's just quiet. And Scott, my counselor, is sitting there listening and just being so empathetic and so loving. And uh, I don't remember his exact words, but he he basically, he had known me long enough. We had known each other for years and he knew I was super sarcastic Um, that's like my second language. And he looks at me and he just goes like, Oh, I, I didn't know the gospel was about you. And (laughs) I was, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And, um, and we talked about how Christ served everybody, you know, and that's what he did. And he was able to do it because of the empathy he had for other people and the love that he had for other people. 
So since that time, um, there's still times in my life when I haven't been super uh, as active as, as other times, but I've never had that bitterness because I've decided if I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve because I want to serve. And I was able to go back um, that next Sunday and just with a, a little different mindset and it's slowly grown over time um, where I realized that, you know, everybody else was at their place too. So here I am sitting in this ward that didn't have the highest activity level and I'm frustrated at, you know, earlier on. And I'm like, well, how do I know that everybody else sitting around me isn't feeling that same thing? You know, so if I have the ability and energy to serve, serve because I want to serve. And I, it, it was a huge, a huge change for me. Um, and in the years that it followed that, I've kind of had to get to this point where I'm living the gospel because I feel it's right and I want to connect with God. That's, that's first and foremost. And then when it comes to the church, um, first of all, I kind of see them as two different things. I see the gospel as the gospel, that is Christ and God and truth. Um, the church is an organization and it helps us come to God and come to Christ, but it is not God and Christ. Um, but the people in the church are doing their best to help people come to God and Christ and they make lots of mistakes. Um, and I know that because I know I'm one of those people and I make lots of mistakes. So I've said things as I've taught lessons and I've said things as I've ministered and I've said things as I've talked to people at church that I shouldn't have. Uh, and sometimes I realized it and I was just angry and stupid. And sometimes I didn't realize it and I thought I was doing good things and I might've offended somebody. Um, but I've had to get to this place where I kind of separate the culture of the church from, from the gospel. And that's been a really, really good thing for me. Um, sometimes I will leave a meeting scratching my head because I don't know what went on or, or why somebody did that thing or, or whatever, but I don't leave that meeting anymore bitter. I don't leave that meeting frustrated. And, um, I don't, it, and that's really good because it doesn't come back to God. I'm not getting angry at God because there's some confusing thing or something that's frustrating. I just realize it's, it's just people. Um, I hope that makes sense. Makes but. sense. And it's, you figured that out before I figured that out, Matt. <laughs> I've learned that the church as an organization can let me down. The church as an organization can generate pain. And I've learned how to separate the church from the gospel of Jesus Christ and God and Christ. I've never felt let down by God or the Savior or the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I came up with an analogy one day in my mind that, um, that the purpose of the church is to create a current um, like in the ocean that takes me to the island that represents returning back to my Heavenly Father. The church isn't an island that the current is, I'm not trying to come unto the church, I'm trying to come unto God, and the church is the current or the means or the energy that helps me do that, but it's not the end goal. And sometimes that current feels like it's not pulling me in the right direction. It sometimes makes it actually harder because of an experience I had at church, and and you're really humble to say sometimes I have not lived up to the full measure of my baptism covenants. I felt the same way as a 
as a member of the church, or I've looked back and I wish I had done better, and I've recognized I've created negative current, so to speak, for people. So I think that's a really more sustainable place that you're in and very helpful for our listeners is to is to separate those two. So thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Talk about this idea of accepting other people's paths. Um, where do I start? So as I've been kind of figuring out my path and going down, going down and trying to decide what I want to do, um, I think earlier on one thing that I did that it might've been a defense mechanism or something, but I, I decided that this path that I'm taking is right. And I think an earlier thing, I didn't decide that it was right for me. I decided that it was right. You know, that this is the path that everybody needs to take. And because I've had the spirit tell me that this is a good thing, that that means it's a good thing for me. It's a good thing for you. It's a good thing for every other person. And if you start to head away from that path, then you're clearly making a bad choice. You're clearly doing something that God wouldn't want you to do. Um, So you need to get in line and you and I need to be doing the same thing because that's, that's how I viewed it. And, um, and there were a couple things that have happened in my life where I realized that my path changed, you know, so I've, I've made a decision. I start heading in this direction. I realize a year or two later that, oh, maybe I didn't understand this fully. And maybe I need to look at it this way. And maybe what I originally thought was accurate isn't fully accurate. And now I know a little bit more and I have a little more insight. And now the spirit's testifying me to, of these other things. And I realize, okay, so I was kind of off there and now I'm in a better place. That's great. What about all these other people around me? Aren't they're going through that same, same process. So I think one thing that was difficult is I judged a lot of people. Um, and I still do to this day and I'm trying not to, but I, I kind of got to the point where if somebody wasn't doing what I thought they should be doing, I just either wrote them off or, um, I think I was led by a lot of fear. You know, I feared that my friends, these people that I knew and love were just going to hell, you know, and going to make these bad choices and ruin their life. And because I've decided that my path is what leads to happiness, that if you're going 30 degrees off on the other side, that you're not going to find happiness. Um, and I realized that that's just not accurate at all. Um, so I kind of had to get to this place where, and I'm, I'm still getting there right now where I've decided that, you know, this is what I feel is right for me at this moment. Um, and I'm going to do that because I think that's the right thing. And if you want to give me some advice or counsel or whatever, I'm, I'll try to hear that counsel. But if you're doing your own thing, that's cool too, because you're trying to figure out your stuff. And if we want to connect and communicate, that's great. Um, but I, I guess I'm doing what I feel is right for me and I'm trying to come to God and I'm trying to connect with God and I'm trying not to really push my path on other people uh, because I realize that it is so dependent on our personalities and our uh, beliefs and our core values and, and everything. And I, I know I cost myself some friendships and I, I affected people around me sometimes real negative, even in the the intent that I was helping them, um, I probably caused a lot of frustration and pain. It's really honest. Um, 
how does it make you feel? And I'm sure this is, I assume this has happened where you've had close gay friends active in the church, wanting to make it work that have found a partner, a male partner and have, and have left the church and are now in a same sex relationship. Um, five years ago, that was rough. That was really rough. I felt like not only was that person making a bad choice, uh, but I, there were times where I felt like that person was damned. Um, I felt like they were not only making a bad choice, but they were locking themselves into that bad choice. What if they got married to that guy? Now, now they're like committed in that relationship. And I, and I didn't see it very well. Um, I don't feel that way uh, anymore. I'm able, I have several friends right now that, that are in those relationships and I'm really happy for them because I can tell there's a lot of happiness there and they're trying to do their part to come to, to God. How that all connects with the, the church with temples and covenants and everything. I'm, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I don't know exactly how that all works together because I know, um, my friends that are, that have a faith in God and are in these relationships. Um, I know that I can tell that they have the spirit in their life. Um, but I also know that they're limited in some of their, their things like the, the priesthood and the temple. Um, but I think that that's something that they need to figure out with God. Um, so I, I don't fully know the answer to that, but I try to support them in the places that, that they're at. It's a really thoughtful answer. It's, it's a question that I've thought a lot about since I stepped in the space, Matt. And, and I think my listeners have heard me talk about this. I kind of call it this principle of self-determination. I think that's what you're teaching here is I invite everybody to stay in the church. All the good in my life has come from teachings of the church, but I recognize that some people feel their path is different. And I look at, uh, I look at the example of Christ and I let at him as the ultimate judge. And so I just um, honor them and their decisions. I don't, you know, as they make their way best forward that they think is right for them in their lives. And, and then I'm like you, I don't know how that's all going to work out. Um, but I, it's not my job to figure that out. I think it's my job to do what you're doing is, um, is to, is to show love and kindness as people make their way. I've, I've learned something that some of the most empathetic people, that some of the most empathetic people in the church, that those that leave the church are gay people in the church because they recognize how difficult it is. And, um, that, I, I don't know if that's scientifically sound or true, but that's been my, um, you know, sort of anecdotal experiences. Some that know this road the very best know how difficult it is and yeah. and sometimes have the most empathy for those. And I've had this phrase in my brain that I put on social media. I think it's a false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, we need to stop loving some of his children. Um, so I think we can do both. And I yeah. think you just said that as well as you just continue to love um, the people in your life and and even want their lives to succeed. Yeah. You said something earlier um, that was, it, and I th- hope I can remember this exactly, but I think it's when you gave, you, you sort of decided for yourself what your path would be is when you decided to stay in the church. Mm-hmm. And um, when you fully own the agency that Heavenly Father gave you, that's when um, it seems like a turning point for you to stay in the church when you felt like you were doing it because 
Matt wanted to do it, and you fully own that decision. Yeah, both both for myself on those tough days when I'm, you know, there are definitely days that are harder than the other. For for the most part, it's great. For the most part, I I feel good about what I'm doing. I feel that I'm headed in the right direction, um, and I receive a lot of peace and joy from that to the point where um, I'm I'm really happy and fulfilled in my life, but there are definitely times where it's difficult and frustrating. Um, and I wonder, and the hardest question for me when somebody says, Oh, where are you going to be in 10 years? I'm like, I don't have any clue. You know, (laughs) what a great answer, Matt. (laughs) And, uh, but I, as of right now, whether I'm married or not, whether I have kids or not, whether I live in Utah or not, I have no idea, but my plan 10 years from now is to be faithful to, to God. And that's really the only answer that, that I can give as far as the, what that means, uh, physically. Um, I don't know. I love your answer there. In my twenties, you know, most people would answer that in their twenties with a little bit of needing to just have this plan in place. You know, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go to grad school, I'm going to be here. And I think culturally, back to your point about culture, we're kind of programmed to have, when we're asked, what are we going to be in 10 years? We're kind of programmed to have a pretty thoughtful answer that makes it feel like, sound like we've really got it together. But I love how authentic you are and how self-assured you are that you just said, I don't know. And you just own that. There's no shame in that. And you're self-confident enough in yourself that you can say that because you're so attuned to who you are and your relationship with Heavenly Father. You don't need to give a culturally sort of pass an answer. And I think it's it tells me where you are and just the confidence you have in yourself about who you are. It's It's been a hard process. Um, I'm somebody, anybody that knows me knows I'm very routine oriented and very regimented, um, at the, before so it doesn't come naturally to it say, it does not come naturally. <laughs> in fact, uh, it's almost like every little grain of sand that gets in the cog just throws it all off. Um, before this virus thing happened, I'm, I'm the guy that's at the gym every morning at 4 30 AM every day. Um, and I do that and I, I have my planner that I write my goals in and I have my journal that I write in and I've had as I've, as I've connected with God, as I've built that relationship, it has thrown uncertainty into the mix because I'm feeling impressed to go in a certain direction that was not part of my plan. You know, you have your, your plan of what you're going to do with work. And then all of a sudden God says, Hey, why don't you try this other thing that you know nothing about? And it's like, Oh, great. Cool. Um, and it's frustrating. And, but I, if you're going to get where God wants you to go, uh, you have to be willing to do that. Um, and as humans, we, we don't do well with, with uncertainty at all. We really, we, we say that faith is a huge part of the gospel. Um, but then anytime we're asked to have faith in something, we're like, okay, well, tell me exactly why I need to have faith. What, what is the 100% reason for it? Um, one thing that's come up in the last couple of years for me, uh, is behavior. We, we judge behavior so much. And it goes exactly what you're saying, Richard, of the, the checklist of, you know, you're going to go on your mission, you're going to come home, you're going to find that girl and you're going to marry her. And then you're going to have three kids by the time you're 25 and you're going to graduate from college and then go to grad school. And we just, we feel like behavior is so important. And if you don't 
do those behaviors, then you're not doing your best. And, and we do that a lot. We, even some of the scriptures that are out there of, you know, after all you can do, um, that's one that comes up all the time. Well, what does that mean? Did you give 100% or 110% or 90% or 95%? And we judge that. And, and I remember feeling over and over again that I was never doing enough. Um, and if I had a moment of pure honesty where somebody said, oh, do you think you're trying your best? I'm like, I think so. But I could probably squeak out a couple more, you know, percent out of that or, or whatever. Um, and realizing that God really does judge us on our heart, what we want, how we want to be, the type of people in, in connecting with him, um, that really is what brings the spirit into our lives. And I think a lot of times we almost sacrifice or sabotage, I guess, the spirit in our lives because we're focusing so much on behaviors that we're, we're not listening to the spirit because, you know, I remember, um, I was reading a book on president Monson way back when, and, uh, and it talked about how he was able to be led by the spirit all the time. He would just get these impressions and go and do things. And you can't do that if you're so immovable and so fixed in your schedule and your regiment and your plan, you can't, you can't be led by the spirit because, well, yeah, I, I know that I should go and visit this person who I'm getting this impression about, but I need to be somewhere at five o'clock. You know, I've got to get this thing done. And, and we miss out on some of those opportunities. So I think we need to have kind of a general, for myself at least, I have a general plan of what I'm, what I'm trying to do. And part of that plan is giving a little wiggle room for God to work in it, I guess. I love that. Really love that. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about the temple at all, or, or if you want to talk about this idea that being gay isn't a trial. Um, I'll hit on the, I'll hit on the temple real quick. It's so I, I was never somebody that went to the temple. It wasn't a huge part of my life until just recently. Um, it was about three years ago. I became friends with a, a guy and we decided to go twice a month and it ended up being every week. It just, it just happened. Both of us had the time and, and availability and we started going every week and I started gaining this, this love for the temple. Um, and then, then I kind of lost that just schedules changed and everything. And within the last, um, probably about 10 months, I, I was able to bring that back. Um, and I do all sorts of stuff. I'm able to go and sometimes it's an endowment session. Sometimes it's ceilings and, and whatever, but having, having that in my life and it's something I want to do is I don't feel obligated. I try to make sure I, I don't feel obligated. Um, but I'm going because, because I want it. And what that's done for me, it's, it's brought this spirit into my life of, um, I don't know if it's, I don't know how to explain it, but I just feel like, I feel like it's kind of brought me to a higher level of connection with God. And it's interesting. And I don't know exactly why that is because it's not like I go to the temple and God's speaking to me and I hear these voices and I'm seeing angels or anything like that, but just going often allows me, I feel like I do the rest of the stuff in my life a lot better. Um, 
And recently that hasn't been the case with uh, temples have been shut down for the last couple of weeks and I've, I felt it, I've seen the difference. Um, but that, that habit's been really good. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really planning on talking about this, um, but it's something as, as we were talking before it kind of came up. Um, one of the things that's been really difficult is this focus on behavior and this focus on, on perfection. Um, I know I have felt it a ton and I know so many other people feel it, but you can't go to the temple if you watch pornography or if you masturbate or if you do any of these things, right? That's kind of how it's always been portrayed to me. And it just isn't true. Um, I've, the counselor that I currently work with is the stake president and he and I have talked about this stuff and, uh, I'm not saying that you can just go and do whatever you want and, and walk into the temple, but it really is about finding a place where you're connected with God and, and living worthy. And I think that's dependent on, on the different people. So I had this experience recently. Um, well, it's been, it's been several months, but I'm going to the temple every, every single week. Um, and I have my, it was either Wednesday or Thursday that I go to the temple each week and, and I decided this week it was going to be on Wednesday and Tuesday comes along and I'm not living my life the way I want to live. Um, and I am making a couple of choices that I wish I hadn't made. And I'm thinking about it all Tuesday night and Wednesday comes and I'm just like, no, I can't go to the temple. I just can't go. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, everything that I've talked about with my counselor, everything I've talked about with my bishops, everything I've gone through is telling me that I'm okay to walk in those doors. But the culture and the, the construct that I've been raised with is telling me that if I've made a mistake, then I need to give it six months or whatever before, before I walk in the, the doors of the temple. And um, I remember saying my prayers that morning and just, Heavenly Father, let me know what I should do. Um, and I'm feeling a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration about, about what I should do. And I said like three prayers that morning, you know, saying the same thing over and over and over again. And finally I decide, okay, I'm going to get dressed and go to over to the temple and I'll say another prayer at the temple. And I guess at this point I'm kind of, uh, and I, I think I actually said the words in the prayer, but I'm like, God, if you don't want me to go, you better speak up. Cause because I'm feeling like I should do this. And I, I went over to the temple in the parking lot, said yet again, another prayer. And I just, it, there's like this dichotomy going on in my brain of half of it saying like, walk in the temple, you know that that's where the spirit is. You know that if you're going to make these changes in your life, that's the best place to be. But the other part saying like, you're not worthy to be there. It's almost like a this fear that I'm going to go up to the front desk and they're going to scan my recommend and it's going to like start flashing red and, and they're going to, I'm going to be ashamed and kicked out of the temple. Um, so anyway, after this prayer, I decided to, to go in and, uh, and I felt decent about it, but myself, my anxiety was just raging. I just felt like I shouldn't have been there. Nobody wanted me there. Um, and it was weird because even in that thought process, it wasn't like I felt like God didn't want me there. I just felt like I shouldn't. So anyway, I got there, um, go and start doing an endowment session. And it, it, even though I'm in the temple, it still took about 20 minutes 
for me to calm my anxiety. And after that, it, the spirit was there and it was great. And it showed me, and I, I've heard this before and I've been told this before, but I think, I think sometimes we literally push the spirit out of our lives with our anxiety and our frustration and everything. And, uh, it was, it was a really good reminder to me that God does look at our hearts and it's not every little thing that we do. It's not like one little mistake just all of a sudden makes you unworthy, but it's kind of, and, and again, this is me speaking. This is my thought process. And I'm sure other people have tons of other opinions, but you know, I think it's kind of this big general thing of where we're at in our lives and, and where we want to be. Thanks for being so honest with that personal story, Matt. Um, I remember as a YSA bishop, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate um, temple worthiness with great men and women in our ward that were working through mess ups. Some of those mess ups would be the ones you mentioned pornography and masturbation. And there's nothing in the handbook that directly addresses, there's not like a. I always thought I'd open the bishop's handbook as a new bishop and see this grid. <laughs> that would just tell me exactly what to do in every situation. I'd look up whatever something was confessed, and it would be this kind of time grid like I'm used to in the legal system. Yeah. There's not. And um, it helped me then because to work with the Spirit to understand um, the role of the temple for the men and women that um, were messing up at times. And I came to some of the same conclusions that you did. I... Um, I felt like directionals where the YSAs wanted to go was probably the guiding principle for me on temple attendance. And I'd often involve the YSA and say, do you think temple attendance would help you as you're working through this? Would it be better to restrict temple attendance? Would that be helpful? Or would actually going to the temple regularly be more helpful? And especially as the YSA wanted to make progress in this area, if the YSA just said, this is where I am, I don't want to make progress. Um, that's sort of different than somebody who said, I recognize this is something I want to work through and make progress on. And and so I've always felt that the temple was part of the process. And I've shared this in the podcast, but it's been a long time. One night after a long night of interviews, um, everybody was gone out of the building, out of my office, and I pulled up a chair and I just had a conversation with Heavenly Father. And I said, Heavenly Father, did you realize it would be so hard for some of these men and women to sort of always stay completely clean? And I sort of was saying, maybe you miscalibrated here, <laughs> Heavenly Father, because these are great people that have mess-ups at times. And and he, he turned the question on me, he says, so what have I done to help them? And then the thought came in my mind is, I'm flooding the earth with temples to help them. And so I've, I've learned the temple's not for the perfect. Um, it's for people that can answer the questions. It's for people that directly want to go the right way and are humble about where they are. And the, but I think Heavenly Father is thrilled that you're in the temple and wants you in the temples because he can give you the feelings that you need. And I love where you somehow knew that God was okay with you being there, but your anxiety was sky high and you were kind of fighting this back and forth. And I think it's part of, I think it's a great decision. You've got great priesthood leaders that I think understand the same thing. And I, I'd have to believe that the temple attendance is part of your journey to continue to stay in the church and stay close with God. Are you okay with what I said? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. 
Um, talk more about, let's talk, I'm glad you brought that up. Talk about gay um, isn't a trial. Yeah. I assume if you had written this down as a, as a teenager in New York, and we're now thinking in New Jersey, sorry, that at some point you'd be doing this segment of podcast, it would be unbelievable to you. <laughs> yeah, one of the... I, when I first started dealing with all this stuff and, and really taking the time, because I, I think there was a couple year period where um, I didn't even think about it. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't know what to do or I didn't have any counsel or guidance or resources or anything. And hopefully it's very different now. Um, but when I first started um, looking at this, there was a book out there that was amazing for me. Um, and it was written by a LDS guy. Um, and he talked about his experience and there were a couple things in there that just stood out. And I remember feeling like, um, this was my trial. This is something that I'm going through and I just need to endure. I just need to, you know, kind of suck it up and push through this thing. And, um, I thought that for quite a long time, you know, anytime I thought about this quote unquote trial, this challenge, it was just like, this is just my lot in life. This is the thing that, that I just need to push through. And if I push through, God's going to bless me. And, um, this is where we'll get into, I, I think this is my personal beliefs and lots and lots of people have other things on it. And, and again, this goes back to the certainty and the uncertainty. I asked for a long time, you know, trying to figure out why I have this, you know, if, if I have this, you know, what caused it? And, uh, and of course there's no, there's no answers to that. And, and I don't know anybody else, any of the other guys that, that I interact with, nobody's really had, had an answer to it. Um, but I had a while where, uh, for the first while I thought that this was something that I had and when I die, it goes away and it's like this mortal earth trial. And one of my counselors, uh, we were having a session and we were talking through this stuff and working on it. And, um, this was actually my first session with, with this new counselor. So he was asking me questions, trying to understand me and trying to see where my mindset was. And as he's asking these questions about where are you at in your journey, what's your plan, where are you going to be, you know, et cetera. Um, and I'm answering these questions and, and we're kind of going back and forth. I started to realize some of the answers he was giving um, and, and the conversation that he didn't think that this thing, that being gay, ends when you die. <laughs> and uh, I didn't like that. And I started asking him, I was like, Alan, like, let's, what are your thoughts on this? You know? And as we started talking, I realized that, um, uh, and I'll try to explain it as best I can. Um, the things that we do know that go away are usually physical things. You know, if somebody has palsy or, or any of these things, we know that in the resurrection, they're going to get a resurrected body. Um, so if being gay was genetic, you know, maybe it would go away, but as far as we know, it's not. Um, so then what is it? And if it's attached to, uh, some kind of like depression is attached to your, your receptors in your brain, then hopefully depression goes away, you know? Um, but 
this isn't that either. So, so what is it? And I'm realizing as, as we're talking, I'm realizing that there was this moment where I was like, oh crap. And I realized like, so what if this thing doesn't go away? And it was really, uh, it was like I hit a brick wall. I didn't know what to do. And I left that session just like reeling from this. And, you know, this wasn't, uh, this was only a couple of years ago, about four years ago. So I went home and started thinking about this and saying, okay, so if this isn't something that goes away, then, then what is it? And for the longest time, I had just viewed it as this, you know, in the Bible, it talks about the thorn in the flesh, you know, this thing that you just have to put up with. And I'm like, okay, so if it's not something that's just temporary, and if it is part of my spirit, you know, then what is it? And I'm realizing that as I started to go through this process, I realized, okay, um, maybe it is a part of me. Maybe it is a part of my spirit and let's assume it is. So if it is, then what do I gain from this? Um, and I think there's a lot to gain from it. I think that, that this changes the way I look at things in life. It changes the way that I'm able to have empathy for people. It changes the way that I'm able to connect with people. It allows me to kind of have a different viewpoint. And like we were talking about earlier with the friends that we have, when you have people that have different viewpoints, you actually both gain from each other. And after you connect and share and help one another, then you become a different person, a, a, a stronger, smarter, wiser hopefully more, more intelligent, more able to communicate and empathize person. And I'm kind of looking at this saying, okay, if I can, you know, just become more well-rounded and understand people more, it, I mean, we're supposed to become like God, right? We're supposed to be able to empathize and understand and see everybody else around us. Um, anyway, long, long story short, cause it's taken a while to kind of changed my view is I've realized that this isn't just some stupid thing that I have for a couple of years that this is really just a part of me. Um, I don't know uh, if God gave it to me. Um, I don't think so, but there's a chance that maybe that's the case. I don't know um, one idea that was floated around um, is that maybe I even in the pre-existence chose to head down this path because it would help me see things differently. And that honestly, that possibility has changed the way I look at it because I think for the first while I used to get so frustrated when I have these feelings and not be able to figure things out. Um, and for whatever reason, I was never really bitter at God or upset at God. Um, but with the possibility that maybe I did choose this, then who am I upset at? You know, at that point, then I'm just getting mad at myself and I'm saying, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. Um, so if there is some benefit from it, let me just figure out what I can gain from it. So at this point in my life, um, I'm completely okay with it in the sense of it's not something that I wake up in the morning saying like, wow, I'd have a great day if I didn't have, if I wasn't gay or anything. I don't see it that way at all. In fact, in a lot of ways, I appreciate the abilities and skills um, that it's given me. I was talking with a friend a couple of years ago, and, and we had this conversation, and he flat out asked me, he said, 
if you could have it removed from you, but you would also lose the things that you've gained from it, would you do it? And honestly, the answer is no, I, I wouldn't, which means that, uh, you know, that I've gained enough good things from it, um, that it's, it's actually blessed my life as opposed to being this challenge or this trial that's, that's kept me in a really bad spot, if that makes sense. Makes so. sense. That sort of brought tears to my eyes, Matt. Um, you're like the no shame guy. <laughs> um, that's what we're going to call you. Um, this is um, something that, as our, my regular listeners know, has been a journey for me. I just, um, I just assumed every gay Latter-day Saint would push a red button if they could and be straight. And I recognized I had to listen to the personal revelation that gay Latter-day Saints are receiving because um, that was just kind of my heteronormative world bringing that, and I recognized, and I don't have any personal revelation for gay Latter-day Saints, but you do. And I love the the personal revelation you're receiving. And I love the way you've taken that, Lord, and I love the way you're angry at first, because of course it's a thorn in the side. Of course you'd love not to be able to not walk this difficult road. Um, so it's really logical that that thought would be frustrating at first that a, a therapist, I think, suggested to you, but I love the way you stood on it a little bit. Um, sort of like a seed. It's like the seed in Alma. You, you know, you're going to let it grow. Are you going to, you know, figure out if it's a good seed or a bad seed? And it looks like it's a good seed because it's putting you in a better place. So the fruits of that, your personal revelation to me are, I don't feel shame now. And I don't feel that I'm a mistake. And I don't look in the mirror on your North Star podcast, your North Star video, use the term broken a lot, that I am just broken and I can't do anything to fix that. And I think if Heavenly Father were here, he would not say you're broken. I think he would say, this is who my son is. And it was always meant to be. And I don't quite know how, what he'd say. So I don't want to put words in your mouth or his mouth, but I think he'd say, this is who you are. And this is, and who you are makes your unique life mission possible. And the people that you're blessing and the life you're living and your ability to be a disciple of Christ, this is part of it. And you're right. You wouldn't want to cut it out of you now, even though for years you'd love to cut it out of you. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this thing where we try to be normal. We have this image in our mind about what normal is. And for most of us growing up, gay is not normal. Gay is so far on the fringe side of the spectrum that you just want it. Sure. Gone. This is the worst thing you could choose. Yeah. It makes you so abnormal, you know, such a small percentage of people are gay that it makes you abnormal. But I've realized that, um, normal is boring. <laughs> normal just kind of like, it, it's not, it's not very fun. In fact, most of the people in my life that are the people that I truly love and connect with, they're not normal at all. And that's why I like them. You know, it's, it's exciting. Great. It's fun. It's, and, um, I, it's funny you bring that up. I haven't watched that video in quite a long time. That was made years ago. Oh, was um, it? <laughs> yeah. Years ago. And when you're, I, as we're talking, I remember feeling broken. I don't feel that way anymore. Good. You know, it's, it's been such a change that, um, there's still tons of things that you wake up in the morning. You're like, Oh, I don't know how to figure this thing out. I don't know what's going on, but, um, it's a very different place 
today than where than where I used to live. And there's still a lot I'm trying to trying to figure out. And and it's it's weird how I feel like I have a lot more understanding than I used to, uh, but I feel like I don't know as much as I as I used to know. I feel like uh uh that it's almost become more like I said, uncertainty is something that's just more common today. I've been, as our listeners know, I've just been writing a book. I turned in the manuscript this week, but one of the sections is sort of false statements we make about LGBTQ people. And and one is sort of comparing this to the natural man. And I've thought a lot about that. And I've recognized that the natural man is an enemy to God, but all the attributes that we're trying to lose as the natural man or trying to gain um, to become more Christ-like are being gay or not being gay is not one of those. You can't. So some people I've heard in the past would say, well, this is just the natural man. You're gay. And that's part of the natural man. But to me, the natural man there are Christ-like attributes that are within our control. And this isn't sexual orientation is not within someone's control. So sort of linking that with the natural man, it's one of the things culturally I think we need to do better on. Yeah. Um, and so I don't look at this as the natural man, more than a straight person subjected to the natural man. We shouldn't burden LGBTQ people, say they've become, they're more succumbed to the natural man, and that's the reason they're LGBTQ. We're both equally sons and daughters of God that are beloved. So that's just a side note kind of along those lines. I like that a lot. Um and then it puts everybody on kind of equal moral footing, which I think God would want all of his children to be on equal moral footing. And then it, then you receive better personal revelation. Um, let me ask you some questions. Sure. Um, I've met with a lot of people that have left the church, and um, like you have, and I'm struck with, uh, I don't know when the hardest time to stay in the church, but it, um, I'm wondering when your marriage ended and you sort of could have had this conversation with God saying, I've tried everything I can try to make this work, make the straight life work. I went on a mission. I gave it everything. I was up front with the person I ended up marrying that I have same-sex attraction. I've done everything I can do, and now my marriage is ending, and I'm a divorced man. So you sort of got a couple labels on you, potentially. I'm gay, I'm divorced, and I'm in the church. I don't know if that was the hardest time to stay in, but why did you, why, why were you able to stay? That's kind of the broad question is why have you been able to stay in the church? Um, I've always known it was true. That's just been one of the things that I've, that's been constant in my life. Um, it hasn't been any, I haven't had the major spiritual experiences of voice and angel, anything like that. It's just been this, this thing that I've known. In fact, uh, in some ways that's actually been really difficult because I remember as other people have shared these spiritual experiences that they had, they, they read the book of Mormon and had this amazing revelation or they, you know, were doing this or that. And, you know, they just knew that it was true. And I'm sitting there being like, I don't know. I just, I know, I feel it. It's, I've got this peace. In fact, some of the times I remember probably the only, only impression that I've had, I remember uh, probably around 16 or 17, uh, praying, you know, you're, you're told, Oh, go home and pray about this and, and see if it's true. And I remember starting to pray and be like, heavenly father, is this, is this true? And I'm just getting like this impression, like, 
you already know it's true. Why are you, why are you asking? And, and that's always been there. So I think one thing that's been helpful for me is um, I've tried to make sure that I never turn that off because I know it's true and I feel it's true and it's a part of my life. So for me to, for me to, to walk away from that, I would, I would basically have to turn that off. I would basically have to say like, oh, I never felt that way or whatever. And I have enough journal entries out there that would, that would argue that, that it would be hard, hard to turn that off. So if I know it's true, if I feel it's a good thing for me, then, then the question is, okay, so how do I live it? And that's a different question, you know, figuring out exactly how to live it. So one of the things that's come up multiple times in the last, you know, however many years I, I would be meeting with counselors and I'd, I'd look at them and be like, okay, so should I get married? Again, going back to the behavior thing. And they're looking at me being like, I don't know, do you want to get married? Well, no, I really don't want to. Okay, then don't get married. You know, and I'm sitting there saying like, so this therapist who's a church leader is looking at me telling me don't get married, but I thought I'm supposed to get married. Isn't that the next thing on the checklist? And I just, and I've realized that um, if God wants me to get married, he'll let me know. I'm in a place where I'm, I'm not having like this daily conversation with him, but I'm trying to talk to him and and I believe um, if he wants me to get married, he'll, he'll let me know. There's a, um, there's a quote out there that I love from C.S. Lewis, where he talks about how God leads people into our lives. And if we think that we lead people into our lives, we're just, we're lying to ourselves. You know, God's the one that leads us into each other's lives. There are no coincidences. There's no things where, you know, I just happened to meet you or, or whatever. So if God wants me to get married to somebody it'll, it'll work out. So in the meantime, I'm just going to do the best I can to go through my life and connect with God and be close with him and have the spirit of my life. And then whatever happens, happens. So if I want to go to an FHE in the, the YSA ward, I go to an FHE. If I don't, I don't. If I want to go on a date, I go on a date. If I don't, I don't. And I'm trying to get to the point where I don't feel obligated to do anything in the church at all, like no obligation, but I want to do certain things because I think those are good things. I want to reach out to the sister in the ward that might be struggling because I think that's a good thing to do. And I want to connect with her and, and be there for her as she is for me, but I don't want to do it because, you know, cause I feel I'm supposed to. I love that. And I, I wrote down, um, focus on things within our control as you were talking, Matt. And my wife and I, in the culture for our YSA ward, I don't know where we picked this up. We wanted to make the culture about um, things that were within the YSA's control. Um, and we did not want to make marriage a big focus. We figured we wanted the YSAs to be complete now, even as single people, and focus on things they could control in their life, like going to the temple. Um, just different. We felt like marriage was not always something that a YSA could control. I mostly thought the time of our single straight sisters, but I had a few gay men in the ward and, and recognized that if we always culturally made it about being married for our single people, we created a feeling of not having the YSAs feel complete now. That doesn't take, you know, progression off the table. It just creates, I think, a more sustainable approach. And I love your maturity where you're just at this point where you're saying, you know, I'm in a 
this is my life. This may happen, but I'm not sort of making my self-worth now tied into something in the future that may or may not happen or may or not be in me in my control. And I just love the maturity of where you are on that. It's something that I've picked up as I've done these podcasts with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I say this as graciously as I can, but I think sometimes the institution of the church has not given you all the answers. And maybe for a straight person, it provides more of the answers. And, and, and it's an easier, more direct path, perhaps. And there's the, it's the normal path or the heteronormative path. But I've recognized that at times you've just had to find your own way through personal revelation. And, and that is the doctrine of our church. And sometimes I sense our LGBTQ members have had to do that more and then have a more sustainable relationship with Heavenly Father because they've learned how to do that. And they haven't always been able to rely on the institution of the church. And I've wondered if the institution of the church is recognizing that and trying to, you know, move the momentum a little back to home-centered, family-centered, individual, and, and you know, we're a means to help you come unto God in Christ. So yeah, I, I don't know if you've got any more follow-up on yeah, thoughts I, on that. Was it's funny you say that. Just recently, I was talking with a, a dear friend of mine who actually was working with some of the brethren in the church, and they asked the question of, you know, what are some of the the hardest challenges right now? And even the brethren in the church, whoever it was, made the comment that one of the hardest things right now is that they are trying to have the members of the church take revelation on themselves, but it's almost like the members are pushing it back, saying, "Well, tell us what to do." Exactly, you know. And again, I think it goes back to, we are looking for certainty. We are looking for somebody to tell us exactly what we should be doing. It's hard. Like if, if I'm in that counseling session and I'm saying, okay, should I get married? Get married? It would be really uh, simple for him to say, yes, you need to get married. And then I go through this process of, okay, let me set up all my dates and let me go on this thing. But when he looks at me and says, I don't know, do you want to get married now? Now the onus is on me. And now I have to decide, do I want to be married or not? Am I in a place right now where I think this is a good thing or not or whatever? And that, that's actually not simple because now it's, it's on me. But, um, one of the other things, I don't know how else to say this, but I don't know that, I don't know that God cares. Like in the sense of, I think God wants us to be close with him. And I think I can do that single or married. Um, and I think there are advantages to being married. I think there are advantages to being single right now. Um, and I don't know that eternally, I mean, we're, we're saying that we're in this forever, right? E eternity, infinity. So what difference does it make if I get married 10 years from now, you know, on, on eternity, it's just, it's just a speck. But I think with the culture of the world that we live in, both in the church and just in the world, we like, look at everything like, just this pressure we have to do as much as we can right now or we're, or we're failing. Another question for you is I, and I'm sure you have more of this that's happening perhaps for you, or maybe not. I'm not sure how public you are. I mean, you're pretty public, but I get a lot of um, gay men in their early twenties that um, want to marry a woman and really want to make that work. And you've tried that path and are still open to that path. What advice do you have to those college age, 20 year old men, I guess, um, gay women that also want to marry, you know, a man, what advice do you have for them? Um, 
So I was married from 24 to about 26 and then from 26 to 36, I'm not married. So I think on the outside, somebody would look at that and say that I would prefer to be single than I would be married, which they could then interpret that to say that marriage must have sucked. So I don't want to be married. And that's just not the case. Um, There were parts of that marriage that were so fulfilling, uh, amazing. I mean, being single is a lot simpler. I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, live my own life and, and all that. Um, so in that aspect, it's, it's nice, uh, being married, you have somebody that you can completely connect with and share with. And I have, uh, I'm very, very fortunate that I have incredible relationships in my life, but I know it's not the same as, as being married. Um, so I think, again, I think if that person wants to do it because they feel it's, it's a good thing for them, then go down that path. Uh, but I would just say if, uh, if they're feeling like they need to do it, um, I would challenge that. I would say, you know, figure out, I don't know that feeling like you need to get married. So getting married, I don't know that that's Which is a, sort of a cultural, you're yeah. just caught up in the cultural expectation. Yeah. I, I think that's where divorces happen. I think that's where people are, are shortchanging, you know, the process. Um, the only thing I would say is lots and lots of communication. Just get to the point. The, the marriages I've seen, um, of, of a gay man and a, a straight woman getting married that have worked, they are just so open about everything and they have amazing relationships. And, um, in many ways it's no different than the straight marriages I've seen that have worked where they can just talk about anything and share and say, Oh, I had this thought and you might not like the thought, but I'm going to share it with you and, and share it. And I think that's important. I, lo- I thought that would be your answer. I love your answer, and it's kind of consistent with this accepting others' paths. And I recognize just the maturity you have is where you're not asking everybody to go down your path and saying, this is how you do it. Um, and you're recognizing um, there's a lot of paths, and you're honoring those paths and asking everybody to honor your path too. And sometimes we weaponize each other's paths. I, no one weaponizes my path. That's the, <laughs> I mean, that's part of the added burden that an LGBT person has is because no one's looking at my path and questioning my path. Yeah. Um, but no matter what path you're on as an LGBTQ person, a mixed orientation marriage, um, a same-sex marriage, there's trade-offs with all of those paths. But I, I think the more I step in the space, the more I want to be like you, Matt, and saying, I just accept others' paths. And I don't try to weaponize a path. I don't try to um, tear down other people's paths. But please don't look at my path. And sometimes people will say things from society, say, well, Matt, you're not living your truth because you're not with a guy. Mm -hmm. And if you're really living your truth, you're going to go be in a same-sex marriage. And, And I recognize that you're building some nuance for those that do, and you're keeping those people in your life. You're not patching judgment, but you're also saying, Let's don't have societal message that just say this is the w- this is the way you do it. Yeah, yeah. I I think any time I've heard you need to do it this way, and I've heard it I've heard it in a lot of ways. Even um, even in the community in the church of of gay men that are, gay men that are living the gospel, I've heard several times in the past like, oh, you need to do this thing. You need to go to this meeting. You need to act this way. You need to have these group of friends and. Um, I don't like that personally. It just hasn't worked with me. Um, 
if if I want to have that friend because I want to have that friend, great. If I want to be with these friends or these people or go to this thing, great, you know. Um, but yeah, I I I don't think there is one way. And I recognize that, you know, gay men are not a monolithic group, just like you said. There's incredible diversity. And I think if I as a newly minted YSA bishop kind of one feeling about the gay men after two or three conversations about what everybody should do. I recognize that's, I just love this idea of personal revelation. One thought I came back is culturally, I sometimes hear a talk where somebody kind of went up, was able to get in front of a GA for a personal, a really key personal decision. And, and that GA gave them, you know, what to do. And I've always been nervous about those because it kind of creates a culture where if I've got a personal decision that I'm at a crossroads and the best way to get an answer is to find the highest up general authority. And he is going to have the most spiritual insight. He may have great practical insight and he may be an incredible person to counsel with, but I still like this idea that you're teaching that I believe that personal revelation comes from God and better revelation comes from more informed decision and talking to people is helpful but I think you've got to take all that with a grain of salt and recognize that you've got to get your answer from God for your path. Yeah. Um, I have another question I've never asked on a podcast. Why? I, I, I don't know how. I assume you have other gay men in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Why is that helpful for you? Because I could, as as your wife, say, Bishop, say, Matt, cut yourself off from other gay men because you may end up falling in love with one of them and leaving the church. So cut ties with all gay men. Um, I, t- I could see me saying that early in my YSA assignment. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I've, there's a couple things I could say to that. Um, I think one is there's a sense of understanding, you know, you find people that are similar to you. Um, so I went through a period earlier on, uh, when I started dealing with this, where it's like, I need gay men in my life because they understand me. Um, and then, um, I didn't like a lot of them. So, <laughs> so I had to find the ones, you know, that we were friends with. I, I, and I think that's just a part of life. And I think it's been hard in, in the gay community because, um, I, I've seen this and I've been a part of it and I know I've actually participated in this where it's like, I'm gay, you're gay. So we need to be best friends and we need to, you know, come together and share all this stuff. And it's like, we don't like any of the same things. You know, I have my hobbies, you have yours and none of them connect. So we basically just sit there and talk about being gay. And I don't think that that's a, that's a good thing. The friends I have in my life that are gay, we're not friends because we're gay. Um, that's one aspect of it. Uh, but we're friends because we like going to the gym. We're friends because we like cars. We're friends because we read similar books. We're friends because we watch similar movies or, or anything. Um, it is really nice that, that we watch similar movies and like going to the gym. And we're also gay because that's one other thing that we can talk about. And I feel that support of it. I have friends that are, that are gay that aren't members of the church at all. Uh, some of them actually do not like the church because of the way that they were treated. And I, I get that. I completely get that. But the thing that's cool is we also watch movies and go to the gym or have dinner or do these different things um, and can talk about God and can talk about spirituality and can talk about relationships. And we connect on those levels. 
So I think it's, uh, for me, it's just been finding the people that help me, um, live my best life, I guess. Um, and the fact that they're gay or straight, uh, has not particularly mattered to me. So that's a great answer. Um, what if I were nervous about you? I mean, I think it's packed. What I, I, what I'm trying to share oh, if here. I, if I was, yeah, I mean, I could say Matt, but what oof. if you fall in love with one of these guys? So it's sort of back to this feeling in the church. I think we're at this point where we don't want to form community. There's no on, there's no organization on campus at BYU for LGBTQ people or, or support groups that are in the yeah. church. And I just personally think that doesn't change doctrine just to be able to create community in our church in an authorized way for LGBTQ people. And so that they can meet other LGBTQ people in a church setting, walking a similar road and, and receive support. Yeah. We do that for lots of other groups. And I just think that's um, one of the things we can improve on. That can happen for sure. I've, uh, I've seen that a lot. And um, I think if, if, and it's fear. I, yeah. One of the things you talked about in that North Star was fear. And I think it's fear yep. that if you, if we create community, then whatever. And I think what happens more, it's not even a matter of um, uh, falling in love. It's usually a matter of messing around. Usually there's so much curiosity uh, on sexual stuff that it it ends up happening. And honestly, I've, I guess I really haven't thought about this before, but the impression I'm getting right now is that that is shame. You know, there's so much shame uh, that is in this situation in community and in our world in general, that people, instead of being open and talking and two gay guys or a group of gay guys being able to have this open meeting and talking and sharing ideas, they're doing it a private and, you know, and that's when things could happen. I think if we were more open about it, it would actually probably prevent, you know, some of that stuff from happening. And what an maybe this is insight. And maybe this is a bad analogy, but I think if you didn't want a guy and a girl to have sex, so you completely separate it, all guys and girls forever, I don't think that that would work out very well. You know, you're just creating more problems. Yeah, we've created YSA words, and we we just trust them as adults. Yeah. Keep church teachings. If a guy wants to be with a guy, he's going to be with a guy. So I think separating them, that's probably, I don't think that's a good idea. And I do think it infers shame. I think there's a feeling then of shame that who I am is not welcome because we're not talking about this group of people as our members and we're not creating community and, and letting them serve. I know we just work to do. Yeah. And I sometimes talk about, you know, some people say if our doctrine is going to change and, um, but I look at all the things that could happen without a change of doctrine that would just make church be a little bit more of a balm of Gilead and create and decrease some of the shame. Yeah. I had a, a counselor tell me that the best thing that could ever be done in our culture and especially the church culture is if you're in elders quorum and you have this guy stand up in elders quorum and say, I am struggling with this thing, whatever it is. I am struggling with being homosexual. I don't know how to deal with it. And the guy next to him stood up and gave him a hug and said, well, I'm really sorry you're going through that. Let's talk about it sometime. And there was just this empathy and love and connection. He said, if that were to happen in every ward and people felt comfortable with that, he said, half of our problems would just disappear. 
you know, overnight. If we felt accepted and understood and just able to talk and kind of get it out instead of just rattling around in our brains forever, um, he said most of the most of the things we deal with would just disappear. I agree. That comes back to your point about culture. I think we we I sometimes divide my brain my face into two sides, the front that I project outward and what's really going on in the back of my head. And, you know, sometimes when I'm not in a good emotional spot, I kind of get geared up for church and put on this brave front because that's what I think I need to do is to be the very best self I can be for that three-hour, now two-hour block. But I recognize if I'm going to really heal, um, our Elders Quorum presence really good at being vulnerable and honest and trying to create a culture in our Elders Quorum like that. But I just, I agree that's where we need to go. And that's how we heal people and help people. Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Matt? Um, as I mean, this podcast is me talking, but I guess uh, the biggest thing I could say, um, I had a friend recently who uh, he had just found out that I was gay and he made the comment. He's like, oh, I thought you were the, the stereotypical Mormon. <laughs> And I'm sitting there being like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you How know, did that make you feel when uh, you said that? Confused because, uh, because I'm sitting there saying like, uh, I feel like a complete dumpster fire <laughs> at times. Uh, but I guess the only thing I'd say is that, uh, that what I've shared in my thoughts are mine. Um, and I, I really can't say that I would, a couple of years ago, I would have told you that this is the way that people need to go. And this is the path. And this is, if you do this thing, you're going to end up in a good place. And I don't know. I, I think this is what I'm doing and it's working so far. And who knows, maybe three years from now, we do this podcast again and I'm in a different place and different ideas and that's okay. That's okay. completely okay. Um, so I would just say, like, I, I do not want anything that I've said today just to be taken as this is doctrine. This is, this is what it is. This is just, this is my experience. Um, LaDuke, is that how I Le say Duke. it? Yeah. I haven't used your last name very much, but Matt LaDuke, this is a great podcast. This is a Saturday afternoon podcast. Our listeners, sometimes on Saturday afternoons, I'm more relaxed and after a day at work and want to run a longer podcast and I'm not in a hurry to shorten this one. So this has gone a little longer, but that's kind of my personal preference sometimes in a very relaxed coronavirus, um, <laughs> locked in, um, home. And, but Matt, you're a remarkable man. Thank you. Um, and I just, I'm a better person for knowing you and having you in my life now and the things you've taught me and our listeners. And I, kind of stepped in a space and thought I would be the good Samaritan kind of rescue people, but it's people like you that are rescuing me and our listeners and teaching me about the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching me about personal revelation, teaching me about how to have no shame, teaching me about see, look in the mirror and see myself as a son of God. And our church is better off with you in it. And we lose a lot of really good people, as you know, that are LGBTQ. And I hope that we can keep more of them um, not only for them and the blessing it is in their life, but for the body of Christ and the blessing it is to me. I agree with my sister-in-law, Gretchen Jurgens, who's one of the very best humans. Her and her <laughs> husband, Kurt, have 
one of the finest families. Her feelings about you. She's seen a lot of missionaries in Houston, Texas. And for her to say that about you is a real credit to you. But on behalf of our listeners, Matt LaDuke, thanks for joining us. And you have a wonderful life ahead of you. And your story is going to help the ten or 12,000 people that listen to this podcast. Thanks. I appreciate being here. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Thank you.